Turn to John 17. We have been journeying through the Gospel of John. We are kind of winding into the last lap here, 17 through 21, and uh, finishing this great study through the book of John. And today, specifically, we'll look at John 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Again, we've covered a lot of red letters in the text, and Jesus is teaching his disciples. Now today, he is praying for his disciples. And this is a beautiful, beautiful passage in Scripture. We read earlier, Matt read from Hebrews about Jesus being our high priest. And here Jesus is petitioning for us. And so as I read this text today, we're going to say our affirmation first, but as I read it today, I want you to really just envision that Jesus is standing, reading this, or not reading this, but praying this for you as I read it. I'm going to read all 26 verses. I'm going to go back through them. I want you to just picture Jesus petitioning this way, praying for you. This is what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, about tribulation and him overcoming the world, he had lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory 
that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I want you to pray. I want you to praise God that Jesus, the high priest, interceded this way in human history and does still for us today. We'll pray together. Father in heaven, I've read this text, this prayer constantly this week and just been in awe and marveled at it all week as I just have begun to understand the heart of Jesus just pleading with you for his people, for us. And so, Father, I pray that all of us would just know you better today, know your great love demonstrated in Christ, that that we have a high priest, Jesus, that Jesus cares so much that he petitions you in this way for us and that he intercedes for us. That, Father, when we pray in his name, he carries that to you and you hear and you want us to know, know you, know eternal life. And so, Father, be with us now as we look at this text, as we glean from it, as, as we're thankful for it. And Father, change our hearts in it. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. So I, I want to give you a, a context for this prayer. I want to go through each verse, and it's long, but I want to move swiftly through that. But to give you the context, this high priestly prayer, it is, it is as we read it, it's intentional and it's focused. And everything Jesus did was super focused. He wasted no words, and it's specific. It doesn't ramble. So many of us, as we pray often, and, and this, this is true, we don't have to be eloquent. The Bible says that we don't have to be eloquent in our prayers, but sometimes we ramble, and Jesus just very direct and specific in his nature in prayer. And yet, even in his specificity there, we can see his heart coming out. Recently, I had the opportunity for somebody that I've been praying for and I'll just give you a snapshot of the story. My family knows about this, but I've been praying for this particular guy and this family and relationship. And it was late at night on um, uh, a weekend night, and I was tired, and I was in bed. And he had texted me and, and said, I, I, I want to share some bad news with you. They had, um, their nephew had drowned, and he said, could you just pray for my family? And I felt like God was just moving me. Even in my tiredness and fatigue, it was one of those flesh and spirit battles. It was one of those you ought to offer to go pray with this family right now. And I got to admit, I'm human. And, and even though that's my job, right? We'll talk about that professional prayer, right? I, I, was, I didn't want to go. And I kind of looked at my wife and I was like, ah. And, and I knew I'd been praying for this guy. And just as a side note, when you pray for things, God has this way like that he cares about those and he delivers opportunities. So I was foolish to just even dismiss that. But I I said, yeah, I'm going to offer, and, and maybe he'll say no. You paying attention to the story so far? So you're tracking with my heart? And so I offer, and he's like, you know what? That's, that's, that's fine. And so I was like, all right, I'm off the hook. I did my job, right? I was obedient. And my attitude was terrible about this. And I go, uh, get ready for bed, and he said, you know what? On second thought, we'd actually really like that. Oh, fine. <laughs> so I... I get in the car, and I go across town, and I, I have to admit, I'm praying the whole way, like confessing like my sinfulness, 
And I really was. I felt like, God, I've been asking for opportunities to share the gospel. And here you go, land one right in my lap. And, and I'm being like super selfish about it. And so I, I'm asking him for like the three miles it takes to get there, not even, uh, would you just change my heart? And I get there. Long story short, I'm able to pray for this family, share. And as I shared a little bit, I prayed. The next, like, I guess day or day after, their whole family was present. And one of his sons is in my son grade, son's grade. And he came up to my son and he said, you know, hey, that was really cool what your dad did. And this family doesn't really know Christ. And he said, you know what else was cool? That he prayed like on the spot. Like, and it was pretty cool. And I got to thinking, what an opportunity you and I have just to pray for people. They probably have not been exposed to very many heartfelt prayers other than just maybe religious prayers. Here's an opportunity. Jesus shows us how to pray. He's praying for us, but the heartfelt nature of his prayer is seen. And you and I, when we just take time to pray for people, there's an opportunity that God provides even just to to be there and to pray. And people see your heart when you connect to God in that way. And I was just amazed that God had opened a door in that way, in that relationship. And I want us to see in this prayer, I want us to see Jesus' heart as he prays to the Father and specifically what he is praying for. Now we're going to look at six things that Jesus wants for us, but in this prayer I want you to also see what we can see about Jesus and learn about who God is theologically and learn about ourselves. And so this prayer is broken up into three parts. I'm going to give you the outline and we'll move through it. First, he prays for himself. He, you see that in the first five verses. He talks about his ministry himself. He's asking God personally. Then he prays for his disciples all the way through verses 6 through 19. And then he prays for those who will come to know the Lord through the apostles' ministry. So in the way that we would read and react to this prayer, Jesus is really praying for the apostles, the disciples that he was with. In that way, he is praying for us and those that he will also save, that will come to faith later in life. And so he's going to ask the Father for six things that he wants to petition as our high priest. But before he does, we have to understand, before you get to that in verse 11, some things about what he's saying. Verse uh, 1 through 10 is kind of the setup for all of it. So let me give you the context for prayer. Jesus says in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Now you have to remember, Jesus has just told his disciples all these things. He's taught them all these things, landing with, you're going to have trouble and I've overcome the world. He's taught them about the kingdom of God, the fulfillment of the law, how we should live that they'll be persecuted. He's met with his disciples. He just revealed himself to them in the Mount of Transfiguration. He's seen, he showed them miracles. He's asked that they trust in him. He then meets with them in the upper room, washes their feet, shows them service and love in its truest form. And then he tells them, you'll have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? The world's going to hate you and it's going to be tough, but take heart. And after that, then he prays for them. So even in that, He teaches them all these things. Place your faith in me. This is what life looks like. This is how I want you to live. All of that stuff should be good enough. The disciples should have trusted Jesus' word. But Jesus, as God's heart goes, gives them one more, if you will. And says, I want to just pray for you. I want to talk to the Father specifically about all that I've talked about. That they would not have to fear that they could place their faith and trust fully on him. That should bring great 
comfort. It should, as we read this prayer, it should even bring perspective to all life's little nagging things that Jesus Christ prays for his people, that he intercedes, that he's bringing us before the Father constantly. That ought to help us. It's meant to help us. He provides these truths in his teaching, but he also speaks these things in prayer now, opening up to his Father about himself and can find great comfort in it. And he says, glorify the Son. The time has now come. Jesus had purpose when he came to earth. And he, at this moment, all throughout the ministry, if you read the Gospels, Jesus is, you know, getting into sticky situations, if you will. People are wanting to, to get him, to kill him, to get rid of him. It's like, nope, hour's not come. The hour's not come. He slips away. The hour, now the hour has come. Jesus is praying right before he's about to go, get arrested, betrayed, crucified, He knows right what's coming. He is at the center of all things. And he says, glorify the Son. And I want you to picture this. Jesus is asking God, essentially, or showing us, the spotlight is shined fully on him in this moment. He's saying, glorify the Son. At the the crux of human history, he's saying, show him the spotlight right here. He is the center of all things in human history. Friends, God's glory is central at the work of Calvary at the cross. And Jesus is saying, glorify the Son. All that he came to do at this moment in human history, this is where the spotlight just shines down on the Son and all that God has given him. In verses 2 to 3, he goes on to explain, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. That, that he has all authority over flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Because he is Lord. He has all power, all authority, and gives eternal life and the knowledge of God. And I want you to see this. All that God has given him. Six times it will go on to say that the Father has given his disciples to Jesus. Almost in a redundant fashion. And Friends, there's always like these questions about God's sovereignty and election and people read the scriptures and they don't like election that God chooses a people. And six times at least you'll see in this text that God has given all of his people that will come to know Christ to Jesus. Many struggle, they don't like it, but if you just read this in simple form, the Bible teaches that God gives people. In other words, he implants a faith in them that that they choose Christ because he's chosen them, all right? And, and so Jesus here is given people by God, has all authority. The Father is shining the spotlight on the Son, and he answers the great question for us today. He says, I'm the one who can give eternal life. Now, you and I ask in the scriptures, what is eternal life? I'm really thankful you asked that question. And he says that they know God and Jesus Christ. He answers the question, many of us think that eternal life is just down the road. Jesus is praying something different. He says, I'm the one who gives eternal life. But then he goes on to explain it, that they know you, that they know me. See, he, he's changing things a little bit from our perspective, if you will. We think eternal life is just what happens after we die. When you come to faith in Christ, that is your moment of beginning eternal life. That is the kingdom being real and present. Not like then, but now. It's the present relationship of knowing God. And so behind this prayer is Jesus' heart that says, I want them to know you. 
I want them to walk with you. I want them to relate to you. I don't want them to just have the security of after they live and do whatever they do in their earthly life and they're born and they die and they fill with, with whatever in between and then they go to heaven. That's eternal. He says, no, from that moment you reach into their heart and transform it and change it, they can know you. They can walk with you. They can experience true freedom and healing and transformation. And so Jesus continues. He says, I glorified you perfectly righteous on earth, in verse 4, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was sent with purpose. He knew that. It was always for the purpose of living a perfectly righteous life, to be the perfect lamb sacrifice for our sin. And it was always aimed at the cross. All that he did was toward that end. He taught, he provided ministry and healing and showed glimpses of the kingdom of who God was, gives us an example, but he had purpose. And I feel like this is a stop point for you and I. When we look at verse four, I'm going to read it again. Jesus is saying, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And I thought about that last phrase. Do you know that God has given each of us a work to do? That's why I want to just like a a timeout. Some of us don't feel that way at times, and I realize that. What Jesus is saying here is, I had a purpose for which I came, and I've accomplished the task for which I came to do, which you gave me to do. God has given each one of us specific things he wants us to do. So if you're a mom, you have a specific ministry towards kids. If you're an electrician, God has placed you in that environment to to do whatever he's gifted you to do and and to influence people. If you're a teacher, he's given you that task for whatever you're causing or whatever you're chosen to do to, to teach these kids. Whatever it is, a mom, a baker, a candlestick maker, whatever, he's given it to you for the glory of his name and says, here's what I've given you. So many of us struggle this because we, oh, I, this is what I want to do or I'm not accomplishing my Some of us just build ourselves up in this bad pattern of like, I wish I was doing more. I'm not doing the right thing. Whatever God has given you, go and do that for the glory of his name. Jesus acknowledges that and he says, I have given, I've taken what you have given me and I'm doing it all for your glory. And in verse five, he says, now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He is showing his eternal nature now. Glory like that of before the foundation of the world. I get a sense here in this before Jesus prays that he wants to go back to the Father. Remember, Jesus has left his heavenly throne. He has come to fallen humanity. He has come for purpose. But I get this sense, Father, glorify me now as as it was before when I was with you in perfect union in heaven. When he left his glory for the pains of a fallen world. And, and this for me, verse 5, is just a wow verse. Like glorify me now in your presence with the glory that I had before you with the world. And then this verse 6 comes along, this bridge verse, and, and kind of a way before he, he tilts towards praying for people. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me. I have done what you have asked. I have made much about you. Could we say that of ourselves? Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. He has manifested God's, God's name to the people he gave him. We are drawn out. You see it again. They're sovereign, sovereignly elected. 
and he has done that. And everything they, they, have, they have seen about who God is, they have been protected and kept, if you will, by his word. Verse 7, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. They know everything Jesus had was from God. There was a direct relationship to the divinity of Christ there, his relationship to God the Father in the Trinity. They know Jesus is pleading with the Father, the Godhead here. Friends, all that Jesus is asking for, and you have to understand this, all that Jesus is asking for and does is at the heart of God as he prays. All that he is asking for is at the very heart of God for us. This is crucial in what what Jesus is about to pray for us. Verse 8, for I've given them the words that you gave me. That was Jesus' ministry, right? To manifest, he was the Logos, the word that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came for you. And they have believed the one you sent. This was trustworthiness in Christ's ministry as deriving from the Father here. The disciples received Christ's word and have come to know in truth the words of Jesus and believed in him because God has drawn them. And they want the word. They are changed by it. This is not a credit to man, but to God, that they have received the word. Praise be to God in this. And then he says it in verse 9. And I just want you to, to just hear this. I am praying for them. If we don't read this and stop there and just have that settle into us, I am praying for them. Jesus is praying for his people. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. This makes a big distinction here. He loves his people. God's treasured possession, as it says in Deuteronomy 7, 6 right there. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Have you ever had someone like that friend that I was able to just to stop and pray for you? In, in a real moment of need, not just a flyby, we do this in the church all the time, hey, I'll pray for you, or somebody shares something that they're struggling, yeah, I'll pray for you. Often that doesn't happen, and I confess even in myself, sometimes I'll say, I'll be praying for you, I'll oh, forget to pray. But have you had somebody stop and just in that moment, I just want to pray for you. If you've had that, you know what that's like. And Jesus says in this moment, I'm going to pray for you. I'm praying for you. And he means it. He is not fallible like we are. Through the course of this journey with Josiah over the last eight years, we've had many of you, and I use this time to thank all of you again to continue to pray for us. And I know many are faithful in praying for us. But there was one moment in particular in the eight years that I, just for me, and it didn't minimize any other people's prayers. It was just one moment that I really felt like this was a reception of just a good gift. And it was years ago. It was probably when he was like one and, and we were still meeting in the high school. And I, I don't remember the details exactly. Some of it's all a blur. But he was in... Um, the ICU. It was probably when he was two then. It was in the ICU, and things were, you know, challenging in that moment. And I remember coming Sunday morning. I wasn't supposed to be here, and one of our, our friends, good friends, um, he, we didn't know where he was spiritually. He was walking in the high school, and I was, it was weird that I saw him there, and I don't think I was supposed to be there, and we were supposed to be in Madison. And I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, there's a bunch of people praying for you. And I just, I was floored that he 
was one of those people that walked in and says, I just want to just pray for you. And if you've had people do that, you know what that's like. This should be a reminder and encouragement for all of us to take time to pray for people like that as Jesus stops before he's about to go to the cross and he says, Father, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for your treasured people. Jesus, with all his heart, brings his children before the Father. I get asked to pray at almost every function I go to because I'm a professional prayer. Like I go to birthday parties and, and, and whatever, family gatherings and people look over like, Pastor, why don't you pray? You're the only... And this is with believers. They're like, you're the one that knows how to pray the best. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't need to always do that. So like if I get invited to your birthday party, and I'll do that, so I'm never going to fight. I'm never going to look at you like somebody else can do it. You know, that's my disobedience. But Jesus here, Jesus here, the most professional prayer here. We should marvel at this. The one true son of God. If you have been redeemed and saved by God and bear the name of believer, you should just, again, marvel at the fact that he stands before the father and says, I want to pray for you. When I pray, it's not so great. When people ask me, but Jesus Christ stands here and brings us before the Father, it is great. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified. And then this shows as he's setting up these requests, the love and care the Father and his Son have for us, that he cares for his sheep. And Jesus is glorified in his people, the church. Now, I want to get going here. He starts asking God, for things. And these are the things that I want you to hear. Here are the six things that Jesus specifically asks the Father for us. He starts in verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, he addresses God every time he makes this request. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. First request Jesus asked for is his Father to keep us together in unity. Now, some of us would say that's a strange request in a way to start off with. It's a big ask. Bring the people of God together and cause oneness, and there's reason for it. Just like the unity that exists in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the perfect relationship and the perfect relationship and love that they have for one another. And Jesus asked, would you keep them together? Remember the outside influences at play here in the world. Satan is trying to rip apart, and I want you to hear this. Satan is trying to rip apart everything that God brings together all the time. He wants to rip apart families. He wants to rip apart marriages. He wants to rip apart relationships. He wants to rip apart businesses that, that honor him. He wants to rip apart the church, the family of God. He's always after it. And so if you even felt that this morning, that your family is constantly being attacked, he's after you all the time to rip apart what God has put together. If you feel like your marriage is tough and it's a struggle, it is. And Satan is always after it to rip it apart. If you feel like you live in, in this family and your kids are growing, if you have kids, or even if you don't, and there's all this movement and busyness, he is after ripping all things apart. Think of our culture. Just in family structure, think about your calendar. Just look at your calendar right now. We have a giant one. 
It's huge. It's like six feet by like 24 feet. doesn't even fit in our house. Just think about it. Just look at it, and then look at all the stuff that fills the day. I'm not saying that all that stuff is bad. It's on our calendar too, but I am telling you this. You better be aware that that's part of Satan trying to rip your family apart. Think about family dinners. How often does that happen anymore? Think about it. He is constantly trying to rip apart. Think about all the church splits and divisions you know of in the history since the churches began. It's music. It's carpet. It's, we didn't even put carpet in here because we knew it would be a problem. That's what it is. There's some up here, but you don't even get to see it. Think about it. He is constantly after unity. And so Jesus says, would you keep them together? God, would you bring them together? Would you keep them from gossip that splits apart relationships? Would you keep them from perceptions? Oh, I don't know if that person, I saw that person at church and they were kind of cold to me and I don't know if they like me. And would you keep them from that? Would you keep them from selfishness? This like coming into the church of God thinking it's about me today? Would you keep them from that? Because that's not going to be helpful. God, would you keep them from busyness and culture? I'm, I'm not saying this because like I'm better but like there's a baseball tournament. It's the first game I'm missing today. And my son's probably not super excited about it because they won their games yesterday. But I'm not going to bend to culture all the time because we play sports all through the week. I'm not judging anybody now for that. I'll judge you later in private. <laughs> but I'm just saying I'm aware of what God, what God wants and what Satan is doing. He's ripping families apart in our culture. He's doing it all the time, and we just have to be aware. And Jesus says, whatever it is, technology. Think about technology. I'm guilty of it too at times. He is ripping people apart from relationships. They say that millennials or generations that even follow don't even know how to have conversations with each other anymore. Like, if they try to have a conversation, you know what, this would be easier if I just text you or snap you. I don't know how to talk to people. He's doing it. Remember the pattern here. Jesus is asking something, or there is a pattern here. He's asking something, and then he'll give a reason for it, and he does in verse 12. While I was with them, see, Jesus is acknowledging, I'm leaving now. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. Jesus kept this band of brothers together, which you have given me. I've guarded them, not lost one of them, except the son of destruction, who we know is Judas. But he said, I've, I've kept them together. I've caused them to persevere, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now he's asking God, would, since I'm leaving, would we, could we do that? And by God's grace and the Spirit of God, he can do that for the church. But Jesus is pleading with the Father. He says, would you keep them together? Would you keep the church as one? Would you keep them away from themselves and their selfishness? Would you bring families together? Would you bring the community of God together? And by God's grace, again, the Spirit does that. But that's his first request that the Father keep us in unity. The second one is in verse 13. But now I am coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus asked for his word to be our joy. These things I speak in the world, they bring joy. The teachings of Christ bring joy and fulfillment. God's word, that it would reign in our lives and we would hunger for it. Friends, what if? What if we hungered for God's word and opened it up like we did social media? What if we just hungered for God's word in that way? Again, 
I'm in your same boat likely, but what if instead of checking Facebook or Snap, whatever it is, what if I hungered for God's word in that same way? That's what Jesus is praying, that, that, that my word would be their joy. What if we hungered like that? And he gives the reason, the pattern, verse 14, I gave them your word and your world, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why does he say that? He says they're not of the world. They, they will never be fulfilled by the world. Because Jesus has changed our hearts, worldly pleasures no longer provide joy. Friends, the believer can experience the ultimate worldly pleasure, and it will never satisfy. It will always leave you empty. I'm going to read that again. The believer, one who has been born again of God, can experience the ultimate, you name, you fill in whatever that is for you, the ultimate worldly pleasure, the thing that you think will bring the greatest joy, and it will never satisfy. It will always leave you empty. You will think it will satisfy, but it will always leave you empty. Why? Because it's not your home anymore. And Jesus is acknowledging that. He says, you could do the ultimate thing. Your hand could touch the ultimate thing. You could be in the best physical shape of your life, and that could be your idol, your God. You could go towards the greatest addiction temptation, and that's the thing I'm going to go after in that moment, and that will bring me joy. And you know what? Temporarily, it may bring you some happiness, but it's not going to satisfy and fill. Why? Because he says it's not your home anymore. It doesn't work like that. You're a new creation. Only my word will truly bring you lasting joy, and that is for all people. Only Christ can be joy for his people. And so he says, God, would you give them joy? And that joy would be in the word. The third thing he asks in verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Many of us would stop there and say, oh, huh, really? But he doesn't. He says, this is God's plan. I'm going to have you stay in the world. I'm not asking you to take them out, but I am asking that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus asks for our safety for the Father to protect, and I want to acknowledge spiritual safety. He is not asking to take us out of the world. There are very unsafe things that happen in this world. Many of us, it brings great fear and anxiety, especially with a generation of parenting and kids right now. Well, I can't send my kid out there. They'll get run over by a bus. I can't send my family out there. They'll get taken by somebody, and it's, we have a, a culture of fear, and Jesus is here, and I want you to acknowledge that because Jesus is praying do not take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. He says, it's not the plan. That's what many of us groan for. We want to go home. He is asking that in the trouble of the world, God would keep us and he would protect us from the enemy. He would keep us safe from evil. Notice he does not ask to keep us safe from sickness or hardship. Now, granted, you could say that those those things are a product of evil, if you will, a fallen earth. But he is saying, keep them from the evil one in spiritual temptation. Many of these disciples will be go, go to be martyred. So the whole thing just gets dismantled. Like, well, Jesus, your prayer didn't work. If that's what he was talking about, he knows that. But he says, keep them from the evil one. Keep them faithful. Keep them hungering for your word. Verse 16, he gives the reason. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now that's important. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is acknowledging that they, that us, we are fallible, that we are in a sinful, fallen world, but that he was not. He's bigger than that. 
We are fallible. He is infallible. This, this priest who prays for us says, they're of the world. They're going to be in all of this stuff. But he, he was the overcomer. Important to keep that in mind. This is the one who is praying. It is immediately after this that he asks the fourth thing for our sanctification. Verse 17 sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus asks that his word, the truth, would sanctify us, that the word of God would sanctify. Great question you're asking right now. What does sanctify mean? Sanctification, maybe you're here and you've never really understand, understood that word. It means to make holy, to make more and more of you, of the believer, into the image of Christ, to make us more like Jesus to renew us. And friends, that is done over a long, slow period of time for his glory. Many of us stumble in ways we wish we did not stumble again. And I love, I'll always quote it, John Piper says about sanctification, it is a painfully slow process. It does not go as fast as you want, but it is a promise of a process. And Jesus says, would you sanctify them? And would God's word change their heart over time? that Jesus would do that and they would do it through his word. And he gives the explanation. As you sent me in verse 18 into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Jesus gives explanation. He was in the world and it sharpened him. It tested him. It tried him. We have to endure just like he did in the face of sin. There are things that you and I must face in order to grow the way God wants us to grow. So if you're wondering, like, does God even love me? Does he have a plan for me? Why am I going through this? There are things that you and I have to face and step into in order for us to grow the way God wants us to grow. It's not easy. But Jesus acknowledges he took the same thing for us. He set himself, consecrate, him set himself apart for us on behalf as our high priest, the work of God, so that we could be too set apart. For him, and he has gone before us, and he knows. Earlier in Hebrews, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He knows what it's like, and it's for our good and our sanctification. Which leads us to verse 20. We're rounding the last lap here. This last section he provides in prayer for those who are not disciples currently, but those who would be added to the kingdom, who would be saved in the future. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through the word, that they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that we may become perfectly one, so that the world would know you sent me and loved them even as you love me. He goes right to others and he said, would you bind them? Would you add them to the number of the church? He prays for unity again, showing, would you bind them together in love? What did he say was the marker of discipleship? That they would know your mind by your love for one another, that you would grow together in unity, that your marriages would look like Jesus is at the center, that your churches would look like Jesus is at the center, that your families would look like Jesus is at the center, that Christ would hold those all together. And based on that, he asked this fifth ask in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Do you know that Jesus asked 
that we would be with him forever, that he asks that of the Father, that he prays for life after our physical death, that he would have reunion, if you will, fellowship and eternal life in heaven, to see that we would see glory. He asks that for us, to know the perfect union, to know restoration and peace and, and to be glorified in that. And he asked that we would come and be with him in heaven, just like he talked about in John 14, that he'll go and prepare a place. He specifically prays, God, would you bring them safely home? And he prays that for us, that, he, that we would be with him forever, that we would know the joy of being in his presence forever. And he asks that of God. And finally, he asks this in the end, in verse 25 and 26, the completion of his prayer. You notice he comes to God each time he makes a request and he says, Father, or righteous Father, or Holy Father. Again, this pattern, there's so many backdrops, so many angles that you can look at in this text. And he says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved may be in them and I in them. It's as if Jesus finishes his prayer, and he pleads with God one more time. Jesus asks that we would know the Father's love. Above all else, here's my final request. He asks God, would you cause them to know the same love that you have for me, that it would be in them? Would you cause them to know how much you love them? He comes back to his Father to show how much he cares, how much he is desperate. He says, would you cause the people of God Six times, as he said, all you have given me, would you cause these people of God who would grow together in unity, who would be protected from the evil one, who would be filled with the joy of the word, who would be sanctified in truth, who would, who would be kept for your purposes, would you draw these people together and cause them to know the love that I have for them? Friends, I acknowledge in life there are many moments where we do not feel like God is loving. There are many things that come from his hand that are hard and not good, even talking about one with somebody this morning. And it's rough, it's tough, it's hard. But Jesus asks, he pleads, God, would you cause them to know the great love that you have for them? And friends, I hope you know that today. I hope you see the heart of Jesus in this prayer that he loves for you. And so here's what Jesus wants for us. And this is just a summary of all six of these requests. That we would be unified, joy-filled, and safely sanctified forever in love. That's what Jesus asks for us in this prayer, that we would be unified as a people, not just a church, but a family, in marriages, in friendships, that we would be unified, that we would be joy-filled, that his word would be our joy, that we would be protected safely from the evil one, that, that as Jesus was tempted as we are tempted that, that he provides that way out, that we protect ourselves from the evil one, that we'd be sanctified, that we'd be made more into the image of Christ forever, brought home to him, and that we would know love, that we would be unified, joy-filled, and safely sanctified forever in love. Friends, Jesus prayed that for you. He prayed that for me. You should marvel at this. You should praise God for this. If there is an application to come from this sermon over all other things, would it just be to worship that Jesus, our high priest, prays these things for you? Let's pray. I want to leave you with this great truth from Hebrews 4. I referenced it earlier. It says, since then, 
We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I pray that for you, that you would in confidence draw near to the throne of grace and find help in your time of need. Have a blessed day. Go in peace and you are sent out.